Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined by my awesome co-host this week, Laura Nash. How are you doing, Laura? I'm doing excellent. And Nate Heininger. How are you doing, Nate? Well, Reagan, I finally feel um, redeemed. I missed our bird episode like two and a half years ago, and it has been a hole in my heart for a very long time. Um, and now, having done this game and bomb chicken last week, I finally feel like I'm contributing to the pantheon of bird-related games covered on the short game. So I am <laughs> Viva great. La Avian yes. Renaissance. Yeah, <laughs> I am great. Wild that we have played two games in a row now in which you play as a chicken. Uh, this week we're playing or talking about uh, Guacamelee Two. So longtime listeners to this show may remember way back when, when we talked about Guacamelee, the first game, or rather Guacamelee Super Turbo Championship Edition, uh, which we did way back in episode, I think it was 36, or it might be 37. That was literally two jobs ago for me. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been a while, a long time. And that was probably like, Laura, that was maybe like your, you, you were pretty new to the podcast at that point too, weren't you? Right. I had been on the podcast for as an, a full-time person for maybe just a week or two. Yeah, like a couple of and episodes. I immediately went on a business trip and tried to play on a plane with a keyboard, which was probably <laughs> my stupidest gaming moment. And Guacamelee is like not an easy game to play on a keyboard or on a plane. So wild. Um, yeah. So it has been several years since we've talked about Guacamelee, but I will say that Guacamelee, the first one, has stuck with me ever since. That is probably in my top 15 games, top 10 maybe, of games we've covered for this show. Oh, yeah. So when this came out, and this is something that I know we have been following uh, since it got announced, since a release date, uh, and now finally release, and day one purchase, um, so excited about this game. And spoilers, it's awesome. <laughs> It's everything you liked about Guacamelee 1, but just more of it. Uh, we'll yep. get into talking about, like, specifics in a sec, but, like, Nate, I so agree. This game, like, Guacamelee 1 is such an important game to me. Like, I, it's one of the very few games that I've played start to finish multiple times. I've now done that three times. Actually, the third time I didn't 100% complete it, but still, I, I'm counting it basically three times through the entire game. Got the good ending, which is very difficult to do. I love Guacamelee 1. It's one of my favorite games of all time. And the developers, Drinkbox, are great too. And we've talked about their previous game, Severed, on this show. And Severed is very, very different from this game, but also incredible. Yeah, one of my favorite games of that year, and maybe my favorite... Game of the year. Yeah, I yeah. think we made that our game of the year, didn't we? Uh, no, I don't think it was our game of the year, but it was in there. Was it? I don't know. Someone look it up. I don't think it was our game of the year. I'm going to take a second and fact check this. Sorry. At the very least, that was that's one of the best iPhone games I have ever played, Severed. And I know it's on other things, um, but it is like the most complete experience on an iPhone I think I've ever had in a iPhone game. As a side note there, uh, since we talked about it uh, on uh, our show, it came out on the Switch, and I can't imagine a better platform for it. Like, it was great on the Vita because you have the controls 
and you know the buttons and you have the touch screen it's a game built around a touch screen and it was not our game of the year <laughs> ah it was not okay uh fact checker extraordinaire laura has has debunked we could just pretend claim. like we said that properly yeah <laughs> it was one it was definitely in the list it was fifth place yeah it was fifth place Man, that would have been a great year <laughs> it was it was the year we had Thumper, Hyperlight Driver, Severed, Abzu, Super Hot, Firewatch, and Inside. Oh my so god! Like, stacked here. So maybe we shouldn't. No, yeah, leave it in. Leave that's... it in. That was good. Uh, I loved. I loved all of those games. That was. That was an amazing year, and that would have easily been the uh, the game of the year in a weaker year. But yeah, Severed. If you missed it for some reason, is one of the best games that we've covered on this show ever. And we are now saying that about the two Drinkbox Studios games that we've covered on this show have both been some of our favorite games we've ever done. So to say Guacamelee 2 was highly an- anticipated is an understatement. I believe we all purchased this the moment it came out. Pretty and much. It only, it only came out a few days ago, and here we are talking about it. Uh, it's it's a blast. For those of you who haven't played the first game, Guacamelee, and are kind of like, what is this game with a ridiculous title that you keep saying? Uh, so the premise is that you play um, a Lucha Libre wrestler and you're saving the first one, this Mexican village. Um, you travel a lot between the world of the dead and the world living. And the game is what we call Metroidvania, which means you're exploring and platforming and there's a big map and this is a little more linear than some of the other ones like it, but um, basically the, what makes Guacamole so unique is that you get all these combo moves where you have a you know little bit of a button masher, but you use those to both move and f- fight people. So it's a way to traverse the map and to beat up a string of ridiculous enemies. So this one picks up literally right where the last one stopped, even repeating the ending battle. <laughs> One thing that sticks out to me with Guacamelee is it it is a Metroidvania, absolutely, but it's like a a side scrolling brawler Metroidvania, and it's a melding of that uh, where you're you're getting new skills in order to unlock new things, but those skills are your fight, how you fight your punches and fighting and side scrolling combat is like the core mechanic alongside platforming. So it's it's just constantly throwing something uh, fun and exciting at you. It's got a really good energy. I mean, it's super colorful. It's really funny. But I think part of the fun of it is you might do a really hard series of moves, and then you get to do a really difficult combat where you're using the same moves to beat up skeletons. Or It's such – the first game was such an extremely dynamic and fun experience that, like, uh, it's been five years-ish since the first game came out, and it had so many unique – ideas, the way that it controls, the way that it's it blends its sort of movement mechanics and its combat mechanics. All that stuff was so unique and so extraordinary. And it's been five years and I have no idea why it hasn't been ripped off more broadly. Like I have no idea why it hasn't had a much, uh, it, why its impact hasn't been felt more substantially in the Metroidvania genre. We're in actually a little bit of a kind of a moment for Metroidvania games. There's a lot of them coming out. There's a lot of them that are kind of re-coming out or re-coming back into the public consciousness with the you know emergence of the Switch. Uh, Metroidvanias are, I mean, it, it feels like this month was like an explosion of Metroidvanias. I've been, I you know, uh, completed Hollow Knight. I've been playing Dead Cells on my Switch. Uh, SteamWorld Dig 2 is out on the Switch. Um, uh, Axiom Verge is out on the Switch. Owlboy is out on the Switch. 
And that's a lot of Metroidvanias all at once, as well as things like Nintendo made a Metroidvania again for the first time in a decade. They made uh, the the remake of Metroid 2 for the 3DS, uh, Metroid Samus Returns. Metroids are back. Excuse me, Metroidvanias, they're back. They're big right now. They're they're also really in the in the gaming consciousness. But like there's a lot of ideas that like Metroid that uh, Guacamelee showed everybody 5 years ago that it took another Guacamelee to ever see these these see this kind of 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 Metroidvania again. I'm so glad they went back to this well because like I was really expecting more I was expecting frankly rip-offs of this game and there weren't any, but thank God they made another uh, guacamole because like I needed more of this. Yeah. And just real quick, you, uh, I think you left out uh, Yuri's Island express, which is a game hmm. we just covered. Uh, that was Yoku's a- Island. Express. Yeah, I was close. I will never we get, will never I'll get never get it right. <laughs> Yuri on, on ice is Island express. Yoshi's Island of Pinball. I, <laughs> yes. Oh, I, I also left out um, Chasm, which I haven't played, but I've heard is okay. It got a kind of mixed reviews when it uh, when it came out pretty recently here. It's kind of a roguelike Metroidvania. Um, a roguelike Metroidvania that had the misfortune to come out at the same time as Dead Cells on Switch, which took over the conversation. So, sorry, Chasm. And also... Um, Bloodstained. It's not exactly a Metroidvania. It's more of a straight Metroid, but like the 8-bit style uh, Bloodstained game that is basically a sequel in all but name to Castlevania 3 came out on the Switch. And that's a game that I've been wanting to cover on this show and we just haven't made time for yet. Um, so like tons of games in this sort of wheelhouse. If this is your thing, you, you could be forgiven for completely overlooking Guacamelee too. But we won't because it's shorter than almost all of those games. <laughs> exactly. And that's why we love Guacamelee because we can actually play it. It's not just yeah. shorter. It's also like a really it's, different it's experience amazing. and really amazing on its own. But yes, Laura, like the, we covered Guacamelee <laughs> to begin with because it's real short for a Metroidvania. I, eh, there are there are short Metroidvanias. You, know, uh, you could apparently, you know, there's, there's lots of Metroidvanias that can be completed in under 10 hours if you really know what you're doing and don't have to do a whole lot of wandering around. I think what makes guacamelee feels so fast is that it's it's you mentioned earlier laura it's it's relatively linear uh also it's you know unlike your average guacamelee or ugh, i keep saying this unlike your average metroidvania guacamelee puts an arrow on your map and tells you you need to go here you're still exploring a map filling in the map but you're almost never lost. You're almost never wandering. And, you know, you're not really exploring. You're trying to get from point A to point B, and there's a lot of fighting that happens in between. Yeah, and you're, there, there are secrets and in, in, uh, places you can find, but for the, for the most part, your lack of progress is very telegraphed by the need for a new move. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how they, they gate progress are those different colored blocks which each represent a move. So you can't go there until you get that move. And it's pretty obvious. Usually you see like, Oh, I've been seeing this yellow block everywhere. I am probably going to get that yellow block relatively soon. And have to go back the way I came in and, and unlock all of them and go a different way. Uh, but it's not really explory though. The world is beautiful and it's worth looking at every scene you're in. Um, but it's not really about exploring like a lot of Metroidvania.
So Laura mentioned the combat mechanics at the start, but for folks who didn't play the first game, I want to talk about why I think they're so incredibly smart. Obviously, like any kind of beat-em-up, you've got a, you know, a kick-and-punch button. That's a combined thing. You've got a, a single, like, standard attack button. Um, and then your other, and of course you've got a jump button. But your other main button, which on the uh, PlayStation 4 gamepad is the circle button, is your special move button. Um, and what it does to give you a variety of special moves is all of them are tied to directional inputs on your stick. So, you know, you might be, if you press the, um, uh, the circle button while you're going left or right, you do a kind of a dash punch move. Um, if you uh, press it while you're holding down, you do the frog slam, which is a kind of a... Um, what would you call that move? Like a like a body slam. It's like a body slam, yeah. yeah. Um, if you do it while holding up, you do the rooster uppercut, which is a you know upwards uh, punch, but also gives you a little bit of height with your jump. And there's also, of course, uh, the Olmec headbutt, which is my favorite name for it. And that's the, if you don't have an input on your joystick and you press the, the special button, you do a standing still headbutt movement. Um, that's not all ton of moves. There are some other kind of little ones that are stacked on top of that. So this game adds some things like uh, what it calls like the eagle dash or something like that, which is kind of like a... a eagle shot? Yeah. There's, it's like a hooking mechanic. Okay. There's little points that you can grapple onto in the in the world and they kind of fling you across the map. Uh, but those are more situational. Um, the the key stuff, the the uppercut, the, the body slam, the punch dash, uh, and the headbutt those together are your kind of vocabulary for fighting, and they're also your vocabulary for platforming. So you've got your standard jump, and then if you need to get a little extra height on your jump, you don't start with a double jump, you do get one eventually, but uh, first you get the rooster uh, uppercut, which means if I need to get to a platform that's higher than one standard jump, I have to jump and then uppercut in order to get up to that platform. Or if I need to jump horizontally a little farther than Juan can jump normally, I need to jump and then do the uh, do the dash punch. Uh, or maybe I need to do a combination of the dash punch and the uh, and the uppercut in order to get a little bit more height and uh, distance to my jump. Uh, and you can do some combination of all of those moves together, usually in these really interesting chains, um, and usually very fast. Uh, in order to do these really quite difficult platforming challenges. This game, I, I almost put it on a level with, not quite on the same level, but I almost put it on a level with Celeste in terms of just like difficulty of platforming challenges. Lots of lots of them are much easier than what you'd find in Celeste, but there are moments in this game that are as hard as anything that you'd find in Celeste. Yeah, definitely moments. Um, and, and there's a couple things that stick out to me too with the, the moves. The distance that the additional moves gives you is like a little bit smaller than you would kind of expect, or at least what I always expect it to be. So the the way you jump and the uh, it's standard sort of platformer. If you hold down jump, you'll jump farther. If you just tap it, you'll do like a small jump. That is the core of setting yourself up for the move, and then a all of these additional things like the uppercut and the dash. Like let's say your normal jump is twenty feet just like making up a number, the rooster uppercut gives you like 10 more. So -hmm. it's just a little bit enough. And you're often like, you have to time it just right where that uppercut uppercut is right at the peak of your jump. And then you do that and it gets you right over the edge and it's very satisfying, but it also leads to, at least in my experience, a lot of like, 
near misses mm. and, and and falling and just timing it exactly right. And I think that is more interesting than having a uppercut that is like essentially a double jump. It is its own move that you have to time exactly right. True. Yeah, it's it's definitely different from a double or like an actual double jump. Um, but it's also like really situational. Like, you know, you you often need to use it to we didn't talk about the the block breaking and so on. In addition to being combat moves and uh, platforming moves, all of these moves are essentially keys that you need at various points in the levels as well. So lots of parts of the levels will have destructible blocks as part of the uh, the level uh, that can only be broken with a particular move. So for example, you might have a green floor on certain parts of a level, and that means that it can be destroyed with the frog slam, the body slam move uh, from above, but you can't destroy it from below. Um, and so that's a lot of how it does the gating. You know, you uh, this has that standard sort of, uh, you know, Metroidvania or Zelda dungeon kind of uh, uh, sort of um, level mapping where you've got the long way around. And then once you've done that long way around, you've got a shortcut. Uh, it uses a lot of these sort of colored blocks that can only be destroyed from one direction with a special move to kind of block off those shortcuts so that you can go the long way around once. And then you've opened a shortcut if you need to go back to that area again. Yeah, it's funny you say uh, Zelda because I this was I don't think I felt this with the first one, and I don't know if it's just the level design because it is a little more broken into like temples. I mean, they're literally temples in this one too. Yeah, they're literally temples. Felt, yeah, yeah, they are temples. It felt more Zelda y in its in its temple design and and the use of uh, Metroidvania. Like, also, you're tools. literally it's going like, after a Triforce. <laughs> well. You're going after Triforce and also the idea that you get a skill that then is used heavily in a temple. True, yeah. Yeah, it's like instead of uh, getting the hook shot and then you can finally go into all the areas that you couldn't hook shot before. Now you're getting the rooster uppercut or the bird dash or whatever. <laughs> I can't remember, <laughs> so, I can't remember we, any of them. But what makes me really happy about this game versus the first one is that uh, you get a lot more chicken movement. Mm. So in the first one... You can turn into a chicken, but the chicken is um, limited. You can turn into a chicken, go into small spaces. Uh, you can pack things, but there's not a lot of leveling up this chicken. Yeah, in the first game, the chicken was very much equivalent to like Samus's morph ball. So you know you could use it to get into small spaces. Um, in the Super Turbo Championship Edition, it also added bomb eggs, uh, similar, I suppose, to uh, to bomb chicken last week. Uh, but uh, it was the, the bo- it was very limited. It was just for sort of situational, like getting through small spaces. Um, and occasionally it did put you in situations where you had to fight as the chicken. But it was mostly about like totally disempowering you and giving you a totally different challenge. You know, mostly about like dodging and not being able to attack. Um, but this chicken, this chicken has its own skill tree and this chicken gets to be awesome. Now, I have a pet theory about why... Yes, the chicken is super fun, but I watch a lot of speedrunning for Bacamele, and the thing about the chicken is chickens in the first game are much faster for movement, but they also are very, very squishy and can die easily, so it's a really good risk-reward thing where you see people running through levels that they were not supposed to be chickens on just because you can do crazy things. It's very fun to watch a speedrun of this. That's funny. But um, I think... I mean, in addition to the chicken being uh, a really fun thing to explore and something that was 
kind of underdeveloped in the first game. I think that this chicken superpower, this chicken getting all these different moves is going to make this a ridiculous speed run. I bet. I cannot wait oh, to man. see it. Yeah. yeah, and you do a lot more... Like, I found myself actually switching to the chicken during fights, not because... You know, he's not exactly more powerful than Juan or anything, but he just has special moves that Juan doesn't have, and situationally, sometimes they're very useful, even in situations where they're not specifically calling for it by putting up shields that only the chicken powers can break or things like that. It's it's just fun to switch to the chicken now. Pre-double jump, I was using the chicken to get to a lot of spots. I didn't realize that there were things that were supposed to be gated by double jump, but I was just using the chicken powers to get there. Yeah, I have to <laughs> imagine. I was like, whoops, sorry. I have to imagine that was an in, it was intentional because you do definitely get, it's not exactly double jump because it's like a diagonal shot, mm-hmm. but you get that as the rooster way before you get double jump uh, with Juan. And I assume they know that you could use that for other spots too. Yeah, you can get double, double shots, double diagonal shots, double Poyo shots is what they call them. Um, but then you get double jumps and it's pretty great. I found myself really wishing that I could switch between uh, Juan and the, the chicken form mid-combo. Um, mm-hmm. I, I like There were definitely times where I was like, oh, I should be able to like uh, rooster uppercut, then switch to the chicken form mid-air and then do the chicken dash. And oh, as far fun. as I can tell, that's not possible, which... Yeah, it's probably that's just why they give not, you double jump. Yeah, it's probably just about not letting you break the game. There's probably ways that that would be a problem, but I really wanted to be able to do that. Me too. I read a developer interview that kind of explained a little bit of their thought process in transitioning to this game. When when they finished the original Guacamelee, most of the team moved on to doing Severed. And um, they knew they were going to want to do a Guacamelee 2, so a small portion of the original Guacamelee team uh, started at some point during Severed's development, kind of developing the ideas to do another Guacamelee. And um, they were originally thinking that they wanted to completely redo Juan's moveset, like do a completely new game with a totally new moveset um, with Juan doing a totally different set of things. And they really, they they said that they prototyped a bunch of stuff and never found anything that quite felt as natural or as cool as what Juan does. Um, from the original game, which is why they essentially stuck with Juan and his original moveset from Guacamelee 1. And frankly, I'm really, really glad they did because jumping back into this game felt like stepping into a well-worn pair of shoes that I love. Like the muscle memory was all still there. And suddenly I was like, I was right back in it. Um, but they took a lot of those ideas that they developed while they were trying to come up with a new, new move set for Juan and just moved those over to the chicken, which was very smart. And, uh, you know, kind of gives you this whole separate character that you can play as mid game, you know, that you could switch to at any time uh, and lets them keep everything that was really, really good about Juan's move set while giving you this whole other move set. I'm also really glad they didn't try to add any new moves to Juan because the thing about the move set here is that you've got up, down, left, right, and then no input. Um, and those are all taken by the existing moves. If they try to add any more, for example, adding a diagonal move like the chicken has to Juan, you would have been screwing it up constantly. You would have been like, uh, you would never have been able to, it's already easy sometimes to accidentally do an uppercut when you mean to do a dash if you've got the uh, the stick in slightly the wrong spot. Imagine trying to do that if Juan had diagonal dashes. It would have been a nightmare. So I'm really glad they made this made all of those sort of additional special moves, this whole separate character or mode that you have to switch to with the chicken. Yeah, and there's already uh, 
there is some precision, not just in the fighting, but the platforming. And since the platforming is guided by these moves, like there's a lot of times where you are, because there's an element that we haven't talked about yet is that there's, uh, there's the living side and there's the dead side Mm. of the world. Yeah. And you can switch between them eventually with one button, uh, which is R1. So then there's also, at least this is on a PS4, the way you switch between a human and a chicken is L1. And then your dodge, which you can do in air or on the ground, is L2. And then you have all these different directional inputs, often having to chain all of these things together. Going in from live to dead, back to live, into a chicken, uh, sometimes entirely in succession without a break. It requires beginning to end execution or you have to do the entire platforming challenge over. And so if they started adding in other buttons, even just one more button, like if all of a sudden, cause the Eagle shot uses triangle. Yeah. And that is new. I don't think Mm -hmm. I don't that that wasn't in the first game. And I think that's a whole, I don't even think that button was used in the first game. So that's that's a whole new thing. It is a whole new thing. And even that it's complicated, but it's just one button. It's like a visual cue and when you can do it and when you can't do it. If I had to start doing more like directional stuff, maybe uh, your basic attack square also had uh, more than just like your basic like uppercut down, you know, punch down, punch left, punch right. It would become really, really challenging. Yeah, it'd become really unmanageable. Yeah. And not the like fun challenging because I love the challenge of this game. It's one of the best parts. The The platforming is really difficult. And, you know, I love platformers, but I think it would get like sloppy difficult and not like fun difficult if there was another layer of buttons that I had to like master. Yeah, it, there's a lot going on. And I think um, adding the triangle is reminiscent of other platformers or metrovanians i've played before it reminded me a little bit of um or in the blind planets dash except on that one you aim it yeah this one it's you aim by where you are when you hit the button um your relative location and you don't actually have you know you don't have granular control it keeps the speed up which is something that in ori you actually kind of paused aimed went there's no aiming it's just go yeah <laughs> like they, they keep the pace up which is something important yeah and it's one game. of my favorite feelings in a in a game is that like uh the eagle shot adds that like swinging momentum sort of thing where mm-hmm. you're kind of like whipping around things and the, the speed at which you hit it and the angle at which you hit it will sort of whip you across the map and i just that always feels nice there's so many games that i've played mm-hmm. that are just that thing you know it's like spider-man you're just like swinging around right and and it feels great it's one of my favorite feelings in a video game and so when you add it into one of my favorite games perfect it's a great addition it brought a lot of fair deaths for me because (laughs) i it it was a exploration of when do i need to hit the triangle button it was a like a timing issue introduced which i really like because a lot of the rest was execution based of did i get the combo right this also introduced like did i wait just the hair's yeah. breath low enough to do this before it's just a slightly extra element but it didn't slow things down and i think that is probably if i were going to guess what moves did not make it in anything that slows down combat anything that slows yeah. down movement is just death in this game yeah and for a game that's coming out what five years after the original yeah i think the original came out sometime in 2013 although it had like you know, updated and expanded versions that came out 
over yeah. several years afterwards. I didn't think I, I don't think I played it until at least 2014. Okay. Well, for a game that is, you know, following five years since the first, uh, I think it's a testament to how good the first game is and also how much Drinkbox is aware of their own sort of development that it's not that much different from the original. Like we are describing some of the differences in some of the new stuff, but it feels just like the original yeah. Melee. And I love that. It it, it would, it would have been, I, I'm glad that they just took it like one step forward. It's just like a tiny step, make it a little bit more engaging as far as, you know, the chicken. And there's also a skill tree now, which we haven't talked about. Um, but even those are all just like these little improvements. It almost feels like an expansion to Guacamelee 1 rather than like a new game. Uh, True. But what I think is really incredible here is that like it is in a, in a in a lot of ways fundamentally very similar to Guacamelee 1, but it also never really feels like it's retreading the same ground. I mean, how the, the first game covered so much ground, right? Like there's even just if, if you talk about just like the the combat challenges you know every few minutes you're thrown into a little locked room combat you know challenge where it locks you in a room and says lucha and you have to beat a bunch of enemies and it's never random there's always like oh there's a little challenge here that is like i have to uh take these out in a certain order or i have to take them out in a certain timetable or they have shields that have to be used uh, hit with certain um certain powers and things like that and every one of those little combat challenges is carefully defined and and does something different yeah. and then this one has a whole new set of those and they're very different from the ones in the first game you know it, i it felt like every possible variation had been uh had been explored in uh guacamelee one but here they've come up with a whole new set and same for the, the platforming challenges the tiny little things like the eagle dash that they uh that they threw in uh or some of the things that they added that are new like the um You've got the the like world switching mechanic in this. Sometimes you have these waves that go across the screen that are like waves where it will uh, automatically switch you from one uh, from the dead world to the to the living world um, in these sort of waves that move across the screen. That's brand new. And just that little addition. Suddenly you've got a whole new set of challenges that you wouldn't have seen in the first game. So it's amazing yeah. how inventive they were with their level design and their encounter design. Yeah. And, and I guess what I like. I do kind of feel like it 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 uh is retreading the same ground but in the way that it is it's so much the first one was so much fun and so like well executed they developed their systems so mm -hmm. well why change it like let's just add in it's like if you know every Mario game feels the same when you I jump I was going to yeah. So it's actually going to be like, it's like Mario. Yeah. No one's like, oh no, it feels like Mario again. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. Mario in a way has been retreading this. Every side scroller one has been retreading the same ground since like the first one. Um, but it, they just mix it up just right. And it feels familiar and feels fun and feels perfect. And then it, the, the, the discovery is like what new challenges and then also uh, what story and what's going to make me laugh? And how awesome is the music? I, I know that's like I three can't. huge categories, but we haven't even. Touched on <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, I, having said that, Nate, I uh, I can't wait for Guacamelee sixty four. Really, <laughs> right. Really looking forward to that now. But yeah, you know, the music. Like I, I'm sure that we're editing as much of the music as we can into this episode.
this this the first game's music was great, but this one it has a little bit of a new sound to it. It's still got that like uh, mariachi and other sort of Mexican music inspired vibe. But also I noticed a lot, I'm not sure if they were doing this in the first game, but here at least I noticed a lot more use of uh, sort of electronic music sounds in the soundtrack. Particularly, I think in the, maybe I'm mixing up which one was which, but I think the the dead world, the, the, um, the living world and the dead world have different sort of mixes to the sound. And uh, you get this really great thing. It sort of sounds like somebody's doing a, uh, like an electronic remix of a mariachi song or something. It's really cool. Yeah, and I love that the music changes in between the two worlds, and you can change that at your control rapid fire, and the music will change immediately, uh, immediately and perfectly. And it'll feel like the, the, the live world will be a very normally upbeat, fun, like happy song. They're all just amazing. Uh, Molly and I played this game uh, together like we did the first one and there were so many times that you'd, we'd get into like a new zone and just like stop for a second to just listen to how awesome the music is and then when you switch to Dead it's like the same style song but now it's a little more somber or a little more muted uh, it, and it transfers perfectly it's, it's really clever and I don't know of any other game that has such rapid fire music change at the player's control. You just mentioned the multiplayer and I can't believe we've gotten this far without talking about the fact that this is as far as I know, uh, apart from this and it's in the original game, both Guacamelee and Guacamelee 2, the only Metroidvania games that I know of in the entire history of Metroidvania games that feature multiplayer. I think at yeah. all. And I feel like it's from the DNA from Beat Em yeah, the Street Fighter. Exactly. Like yeah, the, and it's yeah. drop in, drop out multiplayer so somebody can you know sit down on the couch you're halfway through a a difficult level or something and somebody can pick up player two controller and instantly they're in it and in the combat that makes a lot of the combat way easier but also it's a ton of fun it has this sort of vaguely like smash brothersy kind of vibe to it except it's co-op and you're managing difficult platforming challenges and it's not the best description but it's great it makes just since I've been playing, I've played both of the games entirely in multiplayer. Um, this seems like a good place to put a couple of the observations from it because it, it's super, super fun and I highly recommend it. But it does change the game a little bit, I think. So I do think it makes combat a little bit easier, though. I do believe they scale it. The more mm-hmm. people that are playing, the more uh, bad guys there are. So that's not that much different. But what it does let you do, uh, it affects platforming in a couple ways. Sometimes, so if you. If there's two people playing and one person dies, they turn into a little bubble and or after the after like six seconds, they turn into a bubble and they just have to get back near the person uh, and press X and they come back alive. Uh, the The more recent Mario games are doing the same thing. Um, it's a it's a really you know classic way to handle it. And it's totally fine. Um, but sometimes or what that allows you to do is get like a portion across the challenge maybe stick to a wall. And then if somebody just stays there, everyone, the other people that are playing, because oh. this game can go up to four players, can go bubble, can, yeah. can try it, bubble back, try it, bubble back. So it does allow you to sort of attempt longer platforming moments in sections. So I think that makes platforming easy if you decide to go about it that way. Sometimes we would do that because it was really difficult. Sometimes we would just be like, 
every man for himself racing get across you know oh <laughs> yeah. yeah who can get across mm-hmm. uh, but it did we would often take turns uh for so that's like the thing that makes it easier the thing that makes it harder though is that the camera always prioritizes whoever the first player is and if they're the platforming challenge is really big and spans across multiple screens then basically the first player either has to be right alongside the second player for them to even be able to get a chance at doing it or they have to bubble and let the second player do it all on their own Mm. um so it it just sort of feels like an there's like i don't think i can't think of a way they could do it other than doing split screen and that would not be fun for this game so i think it's the only way they could do it but sometimes it can be a little frustrating because it'll have the camera will be pulled away from you while you're trying to do like, you know, a really difficult thing. So sometimes you had to say, like, I'm going to sit this one out. I'll go into a bubble. You do it or we'll take turns. Um, so just something to be aware of if you do it on multiplayer. I, it hasn't really changed my enjoyment of it, but I do think it makes it a little bit different of an experience than playing it as one player. That's true. Yeah, I could see people doing combat multiplayer wandering around, you know, kind of just joining for fights, I feel like is probably what it was at beginning designed for. I'm glad that they found a way to make it work for platformer. Yeah. Um, I mean, this thing I'm talking about, though, is not the majority um, because most platforming challenges are really all on the main screen and you can do it all there. It's just some of the longer ones um, that it that becomes the case where it's really hard for it to be two people at the same time. Um, and I think that's fine. I'd rather that than make a concession in multiplayer than make a concession in the game uh, for it to work. And it again, it's been a ton of fun. So I think it's a downside to it. But the upside is that it also gives you the ability to um, take your time through them. Uh, it doesn't really change combat, though. One thing you can do is if one person dies, you just basically just dodge repeatedly until they come back and they'll come back at full health. and so it might allow you to stay like a fight, stay alive in a fight for longer. Um, but they balance it. So I love this game as multiplayer. I've not had a chance to play it as four players. I can only imagine That'd what be that would be sort of mayhem would look like. Chaos. I do think you'd have to employ some sort of platform like agreement, but the fighting would be nuts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it, this is like uh, I don't know, like bullet hell's not the right word because it's not a bullet hell game. But if you've played games that feel like bullet hell, that's how these this game can feel. But with like on screen enemy hell, uh, it's a ton of fun. You know, you mentioned something about when you were talking about the multiplayer about the camera, and that's something else I wanted to mention real briefly about this game that I think is really interesting. Is that like unlike most Metroidvanias or even most platformers I've played, it's it plays with scale uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Some of that is just that, you know, you're sometimes fighting very small enemies that are the same size as one and sometimes fighting very, very large enemies that are, you know, many times Juan's height. And part of the challenge is like being able to climb up a wall or something to get to some place that you can hit them. Um, but another aspect of that is just that the camera zooms in and out on this world quite a bit. So Juan and the other characters that are his size are very detailed. And sometimes you're getting these very tight shots where Juan is basically the entire screen, but other times it will zoom way back and you get these enormous views 
you know, a lot of the time that's for boss fights, but sometimes even for platforming segments where you need to see a lot of the screen at once. And it does that very smoothly. Um, I don't think a lot of games do that that way. And that's something that you don't see a lot in a lot of, like a lot of Metroidvanias go for the uh, pixel art aesthetic. And you can't really do that kind of zoom in and zoom out with that, or you can, but it, it ends up kind of destroying the like retro illusion. Yeah. Um, here, because they've, they've chosen this art style that's I saw an article and now I, I wish I could give them credit because I'm stealing this this phrase, but um, uh, th- this is kind of a post-graphics game. And, you know, that we're living in a kind of a post-graphics era where, um, you know, it's not about creating a game that has the, like, best graphics. It's about creating games that, you know, choose an art style that fits the the style of gameplay that you want. And, like, they really, I think, nailed it here because it's, it, it works at any size. You know, Juan is readable when he's an inch tall on your, you know, 55 inch screen. And he's readable when he's two thirds of the screen tall. Um, it does, it scales beautifully from small to big. The world scales fine from small to big. Everything looks good at every size. Um, that's really hard to do. And it's really impressive. So I, I love the art style of this game, even though it is fairly simplistic, but it's also super functional. I And a couple of thoughts on what you just said. First of all, I would not think of it as simplistic at least the backgrounds in this game are gore are gorgeous. Um, and again, they are affected by light or life and uh, the live world and the dead world. So every time you press that button, you're getting when it's alive, it's a vibrant background, a ton of um, just interesting stuff. You can just look at forever, switch it to dead. And it's like the dead version of that entire thing. So everything was, you know, pretty pains. It seems to me painstakingly, crafted uh to to make that work um i thought this game was beautiful also uh back to your thing about like changing your or the sense of scale i noticed that too and one of the things that stuck out to me again i think different than like most platformers is i do think it was used not just functionally but also like cinematically Mm. sometimes you would be changing from one part of the map to another and there would just be a whole screen that it like zooms in real close and one is like half the screen or or so and there's no challenge you're just going from one thing to another and I, and I think there was a pacing thing and a and a way for you just to kind of look at like look at one and if you're playing multiplayer there's a whole cast of other characters that you can play as and you just get this little chance to like look at the guy you're playing run by and then it gets back into something uh challenging and I hadn't really seen that in uh, many platformers. Yeah, it's really lovely that they have clearly invested a ton of time in the details. And I think we're going to go into some of the details in just a minute. The Easter eggs are one of the most fun things about this game. But they make sure that you have the chance to switch your attention. When you're running around a town, the billboards are in a slightly different style. Um, they use art style, zoom, you know, basically all of the things in a filmmaker's toolkit very well to make sure that you know when it's a time to goof around, know when there's a place that there's going to be a lot of hidden things that you should look at or laugh at. And when you're really supposed to fly through as quickly as possible, you know, even in those sections, they're lovely to look at. There's a lot of extras, but um, really they let you know when you're supposed to sink your teeth into a section and they put a ton of silly stuff in here. Yeah. We have made it this far and only kind of hinted 
or briefly touch on what might be the biggest feature of this entire game is its humor and its jokes. like jokes and its comedy stylings. Uh, it is I and and I think a lot of ways what drives the game forward. Like the challenges are fun, but I, this is one of the things that I want to see what happens next. I want to see the next dialogue from the silly characters. I want to see more of the backgrounds. Everything is so funny. I want to talk to everybody. I was legitimately worried that this wouldn't the humor of this wouldn't work for me a second time. You know, the the first game was obviously very funny. Um and the uh the humor of it though was like kind of rooted in just the like isn't it wacky that we've got a a world where like luchadors are these super important heroes who save the world and you know they they also had a lot of humor in it that was very of 2013 you know like a lot of like references to 2013 internet memes and things like that that were you know very funny and i think hold up better than some people would say but like its humor was very much of its time a little bit and i was worried how all that would play in 2018 and i was i was furthermore worried i don't know i was just i just generally worried that the that me being in a different place five years later i wouldn't find the game funny and then that would somehow spoil the experience for me the good news is it's still it's actually doing the humor a little differently here it's still very referential and it's still very very wacky and funny um but they've they've changed their approach just a little bit and i think this game is even funnier than the last one i do too i think it's funnier too and when we're talking about uh like some of the stuff from the first game that would not carry as well today like an example uh the uppercut or maybe it was like the sidekick or something like that in the previous game was called the flying derp derp, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, I forgot like about that's, that. you know, like that's wacky. They all had silly names like that, you know? Um, but yeah. And a lot like of the, a, a lot of the humor like was literally specifically referencing like things like doge memes and stuff were in the game, which yeah. uh, this game, they, they doubled down on the sort of, pop culture and specifically gaming pop cultural cultural references, but in a way that never feels like, Hey, you guys remember Zelda, right? You like Zelda, right? This is a picture of Zelda. Like it's, it's all kind of woven into the Mexiverse, which is a very funny phrase that comes up again and again in this game. It's all woven into the sort of over the top uh, Mexican folklore and luchador based vibe and that makes it consistently funny even when it is just like one-off references i also really appreciate that because it's interwoven it also doesn't feel cruel or inside jokey as much as it could have because when i heard that you know in the first five minutes there is a big limbo reference um one of our short game favorites as Mm -hmm. well uh, i was a little nervous because games that reference games just for gamers to say, hey, look, we both played this. Isn't that cool? Really ticked me off in a way because it says games are not for people without an extensive vocabulary about games. And this instead, they take the environment, it's a 100% reference, but and they even say limbo. But if you hadn't played the game, you're not going to be like, oh, no, I feel like a stupid person now. You can just keep going. Yeah, it's not it's not in your way at all. The joke isn't dependent on it either. The joke is, hey, we're in a weird spot. Like, yeah, you're going to think it's funnier if you get the reference, but you don't have to get it to to feel like the game still likes you. It's not hostile. 
Yeah, a good example of that is that there's a, a moment in the game where you have a, you have the option to beat up a car. And, uh, you know, if you're a Street Fighter person, I'm not. But I mean, you know, if you're if you're uh, versed in Street Fighter, you'll recognize that as the Street Fighter special stage. Now, here it adds to the humor of that. Like, why are they beating up a car by having a guy standing next to it talking about how how much he loves his car? And then you have to choose whether to beat it up in front of him or not for no particularly good reason. (laughs) Uh, But it's a great Street Fighter reference. But even if you had no idea that it was a Street Fighter reference, it's still an incredibly funny scene because that poor guy, you're beating up his car for no reason other than that you want to beat up a car because you're playing a brawler and you can beat up a car. It's fun. It reminds me of like the best praise I could give it is it's not quite on this level, but it's kind of like when you watch a referential bit on The Simpsons, even if you've never seen the old movie it's referencing, you're probably laughing. Yeah. It's the same kind of feel, which I appreciate. That's a really that's a that's a good reference or good. I mean, good comparison. <laughs> I understand that reference. Yeah, um, <laughs> but also the game is full of little subtle references that are you know not part of you know whole scenes like the beating up the car moment or the or the for example the the part where the game suddenly becomes a turn based RPG or uh, the unfinished swan. Oh my god! Yeah. This game referenced the unfinished swan, which I mean, and it did it so well because. You know, rather than spraying ink around an all-white level to reveal the the walls and platforms and stuff, uh, instead you're beating up enemies and painting the walls with their blood. <laughs> and, that, and you know what? Also, great little challenge, fun little level. It wasn't just a reference; it was a cool mechanic to throw in for a little one-off level. So, like, if you don't know what the unfinished swan is, and you should, because it's a good game, and we did an episode on it. But if you don't, it still stands alone as this really cool little level that plays with an interesting little one-off mechanic. Yeah, and then there's even like, uh, Laura, you mentioned the billboards. Um, you know, there's there's some stuff that's like, yeah, it's probably a super deep reference, but there's also like a billboard in the back that's like clearly Sonic. You know, and, <laughs> yeah. and like, yeah, I think you're probably gonna know that that's Sonic if you're playing this game. Um, you might not recognize, but Sonic as a luchador, which is yeah. so good. Yeah, I think. I mean, I, I there were a couple billboards that I didn't know what they were referencing to. I'm sure they're another video game, but you know, I knew that those were all referencing things like that. Didn't really matter if I knew all of them. The ones that I did know were pretty funny, and they did that in the first game too. And it's, it, I think it'd be interesting to see the uh, catalog of games that were referenced in like the billboards and stuff from 2013 versus what was referenced in this one. Cause I know like castle crashers and stuff like that, which was really popular in 2013 is mm-hmm. all over the billboards. So, and now it's like, we've got unfinished swan and undertales up there. It's just, I want to like catalog popular games by way of guacamole billboard references. <laughs> yep. And I think you can see what's like popular. The luchador versions of every, uh, yeah. This game. will be your breakout Reddit post. <laughs> yeah. It will only take you about 80 hours to uh, compile. Right. Get on it. But you'll get those upvotes, man, man. I love all of the posters in this. Um, it was very nice to see a Crystal Gems reference where all of the Crystal oh, Gems were so luchadors. Happy. That was so cute. And I was like, well, they didn't put Amethyst's actual luchador wrestling character in it, but it worked out very well. You're right. That's a terrible oversight. Also, there's a there's a poster in the uh, the Land of the Dead that has a skeleton version of Shovel Knight fighting with a skeleton version of the Knight from Hollow Knight. And I was like, oh, man, two great tastes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, and so this is a game that's packing, you know, humor everywhere. Um, we're talking about 
the background. We're talking about like the character design. Every also just the story. I mean, the B exactly. plot of this game is yeah. that that you are uh, that you meet the chicken Illumin- You meet the chicken pope, leader of the chicken Illuminati, uh, who thinks that you're the chosen one because you're able to I don't know fight for the chickens or something. Like the the story of these games are just as absurd as all of their references and other humor. Yeah, they're with this one they do a real um like community or like Rick and Morty, um, you know, multiple timelines sort of thing, and you're popping between different timelines. I was gonna go flash, but you can go Rick and oh, Morty. Oh, it's very <laughs> Rick and Morty. It's very Rick and Morty. <laughs> I- well, and everything is the dark it's like the darkest timeline, the saddest timeline, the Swing, like the groovy timeline, the dank timeline. Uh, and it just allows this timeline where all the statues aren't broken. Yeah, right. Uh, and it just allows them to basically include any amount of jokes that they want. In the groovy timeline, they're making like, I don't know, like hippie jokes. Uh, in the dank timeline, they're making meme jokes. Uh, it, it's just a real clever way. And most of these timelines, you're only in them very briefly. So if a timeline where they're making hippie jokes sounds annoying, you know, don't worry. It's like it's there for three like minutes. a minute. Yeah. You pass through yeah. it just to pick something up. Uh, you mentioned the dankest timeline, which I feel I have to describe because I think it's one of the best, like, um, you know, extended middle fingers in all of gaming. Uh, I mentioned that the the previous game uh, had a lot of kind of meme humor in it. And while funny, uh, it didn't age super well. And also, you know, some people loved that. I thought it was funny at the time and still probably would, really. Um, but um, a lot of people didn't and can be it can be understood why someone would find memes in their game a little bit annoying. They really toned that down in this one. Uh, the, the the references are kind of a different vibe, but they were obviously still sort of, I don't know. Um, they were still smarting from their, uh, from the way that some people reacted to their, the memes uh, in the previous game. So you go into a special zone, a special hidden timeline called the dankest timeline, which is full of dank memes and all of the NPCs in it uh, are uh, their dialogue are all quotes from like NeoGAF threads and YouTube comments of people complaining about the memes in the previous game. And <laughs> this is this one zone is where they dumped all of the memes in all of Guacamelee 2. Uh, and so these people surrounded by memes are complaining about the memes. Uh, it was it was a great sort of like F you about that, like, but while also kind of seemingly to seeming to take that criticism to heart and do things a little differently in this game. I, I thought it was it was like both funny and classy and also kind of a big middle finger to certain internet types. I feel like there's like one developer who had like been keeping that list on his own, you know, and then was like, <laughs> yeah. I'm putting this in the game. And they're like, no, no, no. Like, it's OK. We, we're making it like I'm putting this in the game and, and they make like a compromise. They'll like, all okay, know <laughs> you, you can put this in the game, but it has to be a secret zone he's like okay but i'm calling it the dankest timeline and they're like <laughs> yep deal they're like fine it's too good we can't i we can't i just not. about lost it when i stumbled into the dankest timeline there's a lot of great little hidden zones in this but that was that was pretty great um so the game is obviously very very funny uh it, it is really unique 
among Metroidvanias, a genre that's becoming quite crowded of late, but it has so much to recommend it. I just, I love the Guacamelee games so much, and I don't want them getting lost in the shuffle of great, honestly, great Metroidvania games that we are getting lately. Like, this is a great time if you love Metroidvania games, but gosh, don't sleep on the Guacamelee games. You know, the first game, it came out on the Vita. I think it got a little overlooked because it was originally a Vita game. Some people didn't like the the humor of it. It's a little off the, you know, off the beaten path. It it found its way to success eventually. I am nervous that Guacamelee 2 won't be the smash hit that it deserves to be because it's a sequel to a game that maybe not that many people played and it's coming out in such a crowded marketplace. Don't skip Guacamelee 2. It's great. Yes, I will say that when they do their inevitable special edition of this game, um, Drinkbox Studios, if you're listening, uh, please make your musical theater loving character do a song and dance. I know. Oh, my God. You're right. I was so certain. He literally said like strut, strut, peck strut, but you didn't actually have a musical number. I know. Saving it for the special edition. Take some of the money that I hope you're making on this game. And even if you don't put voices anywhere else in the game, I mean, there's no there's no voice acting in this game. You don't need voice acting. You need musical theater performance for one <laughs> scene. Just Laura, you're absolutely right. This game needs a big musical number with um, Muñeco and his chickens. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Just like, even have a room where you can go in and he's putting on his musical theater timeline. I don't care how you do it. Just just put it in. The amount of times they set up and did not deliver on a what I thought was about to be a musical number was very frustrating. So much to the point that I maybe that was their point. Uh, but here's the best idea. Drinkbox, partner with the developers of Peter Panic. Peter Panic, yes. yeah, just call him. ever since that game, I would have never expected it to actually become a musical number in this game until I played Peter Panic, where all my hopes and dreams of musical numbers came true in video games. You don't even really need lyrics. You just have the chickens cluck in what they think or like what could be words and that's all you need. Also, shout out to the chicken clucking sounds, which sound very much like the super storm. Yeah. <laughs> I would be a little worried about uh, stepping on Muppets uh, territory if we're doing a song where it's just it's just chickens clucking. But you know what? Get it done, drink box. I don't care how you do it. It'd be great. So when I say don't sleep on this game, I mean don't sleep on this game. You can go get this game on your PlayStation right now. Right now it's PS4 exclusive. Uh, it's on the PlayStation Store. I think it was, I think it's regular price 20 bucks, right? Or is it? Okay. Mm-hmm. So 20 bucks on the PS4. Um, beginning to end, I would expect this game to take about 10 hours. Um, if you have a really hard time with it, like if you haven't played the first game, um, you might expect it to take a little longer than that. Uh, if you are great at the first game and you still got that muscle memory, it might take a little less than 10 hours, but somewhere in that in that range. Uh, and there's 
it's reasonable to expect that this game will probably come out on other platforms, but I wouldn't expect it super soon. Um, Drinkbox's sort of MO is they are definitely a dev that ports their games to everything. You you look at uh, the original Guacamelee came out on the Vita and PlayStation 3. It eventually made it to the Wii U. No, first to the PS4, then to the Wii U. Um, And also, of course, it was on PC throughout, and it's had updates on there. Um, Eventually got to Mac. Yes, eventually got to Mac uh, and Linux, I think. Um, uh, Severed, which is a game that was seemingly tied to a particular piece of hardware, the Vita, eventually made its way to... Uh, Switch and also to iPhone, where it actually was great. Um, so they they're they're definitely all about porting to other platforms. They know everyone's clamoring for a Switch version of this. Um, every time I've seen them talk about it, they say we haven't announced a Switch port at this time, which means they're going to do a Switch version of this game. But I wouldn't bet on it being very soon. If you look at the the way that they handled um, Guacamelee previously, it was sometimes several years between versions. Uh, I think the first version came out in 2013, and they were still like the PS4 version came out in 2015 I think. So, it was a while. Um, so, I would recommend playing this game on PlayStation 4. If you uh, if you haven't played the first game, what would you guys say? Would you would you go back and play Guacamelee 1 first for folks who haven't experienced Guacamelee, or would you jump straight into to Guacamelee 2? Um, I don't think you need to play Guacamelee 1, uh, but... I would recommend that if you have the time. I think that would be just... I, I don't recommend it because I feel any that it's necessary at any level. I recommend it because I love the first one, and why not? If you're going to get into this yeah, if you're going to get into this series, start with the first one. It's wonderful, and then you have this one to look forward to. I, I completely agree. I, it's not something even where like you could go backwards. You could play two first and then go play one, and it would not hurt at all. Um, I think the, the experience would be just as good. Um, but yeah, like play them in any order. Just play them; they're both fantastic. Yeah, I think you might be a little lost, but it'll just feel more surreal if you start off with two. But there's no—it's um, not as if there was something inherently broken in the first one, and the second one fixed it. Which is what a lot of sequels to me feel like: is this was messed up, or we heard this was, or, wrong or something and- was working, and then they decided to break it. <laughs> yeah. Or the opposite, yeah. Or this character was underdeveloped, and now that we're giving them redemption, there, there's nothing to fix in Guacamelee. Yeah, 1, this the, so. Guacamelee do, Two does have references to Guacamelee One throughout, like many characters from Guacamelee One, uh, that where your enemies show up as NPCs in Guacamelee Two, and those scenes might might be, but it's it's not even something where like the, the plot in these games are secondary. It, they're just yeah. there as joke delivery systems and a way to get you from cool combat to cool uh, platforming scenes. So it. You could absolutely play this in any order. I would say that I think Guacamelee 2 is a faster paced game. Now, Guacamelee 1 is fast paced. Like, it gets you from beat to beat really fast. But, like, overall, I feel like Guacamelee 2 has improved the pacing of the game. Uh, it felt like it was constantly accelerating. Um, Guacamelee 1 still had that but it it didn't it didn't do it throughout so if you're wanting a quicker game you might want to go for guacamelee 2 um but if you want to experience both games and you have the time uh, pick up guacamelee 1 start there it's going to be on sale all the time i bet it's you know goes on it's been on humble bundles and stuff you may already have it if you do that um play these games they are fantastic and they haven't been imitated which is so crazy to me and if you're a game developer Go imitate it. 
Yeah. I yeah. love this game. Rob Please these give games me more. more. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to see like these mechanics in a game that takes itself more seriously. I just like wonder how that would be. Anyway, yeah. these games are great. Uh, you can get them on uh, PlayStation is a great platform for them. The first game is available on everything. Uh, go play these games. So if you've been listening to the show recently, you know, we've been doing a segment towards the end that we'd like to call what's making you happy this week, uh, which is exactly what it sounds like. We talk about what's making us happy this, this week. So Laura, what's making you happy this week? I will first say what's making me the happiest this week, and you guys can tell me if it's too vulgar and I should switch it out for a different one. <laughs> Man, last week I had to tell we had to decide if Reagan's was too gross. This week I have to, we have to decide if, uh, or we had to decide if last week's if Reagan, it made Reagan a sociopath, and now I have to decide if yours is too vulgar. Well, the clean title of the article that made me extraordinarily happy that I had literally fourteen different separate text threads about because I couldn't stop laughing and I wanted to share it with everybody is do men enter bathtubs on hands and knees? The full title is do men enter bathtubs on hands and knees? So their balls hit the water last an investigation. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) This is an article on the cut based on a post on the motherboard, a motherhood message board called baby center. It's like, my baby doesn't like baths. Is it because, you know, maybe it's because his balls hit the water first. Adult men get into a bath on hands and knees so the balls hit the water last. Maybe I just missed this because I'm a woman. Does anyone have insight? And it was a mix of people being like, (laughs) what "What are you talking about? What? Yeah. What? It's a very long, she takes it extraordinarily seriously. She does a ton of research. She has um, illustrations that include like MS Paint style drawings with little like green bars over. If where a dog wore the, pants, the how would it enter the water with its balls? Yeah, I, uh, I frankly, literally, I'm... she contacted urologists. <laughs> she found the original woman to find out how she thought that men do this. Um, like they talk about crab methods. I'm really surprised that this lady. Just learn that's how 100% of all men enter into bathtubs. I'm a little worried about yeah. this secret getting out on our podcast. <laughs> yes, definitely. I didn't know it was a secret. It's on the cut, um, an investigation. It's from August 21st. And literally, I could see my friends reading through this article because at the beginning, they're like, oh, this is a funny concept. They read that original post from the baby center. Like, who is this woman? And then it keeps going and she keeps taking it extremely seriously. And it is one of the most extraordinary things I've ever read on the internet. Uh, I know what I'm doing right after we stop recording. <laughs> yes. And I fully expect the Slack to just turn into reactions to the um, the expose on bathtubs and testicles. Frankly, I'm frankly, so Laura, funny. I'm mad that you hadn't sent me this already. So thank you for telling me about it. <laughs> Well, I saved it because I wanted to reveal it on the podcast. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Nice. Uh, This week, I was made extraordinarily happy by a – I have a movie recommendation for you and all of our listeners. Um, So last night – or was it the night before? It doesn't matter. I I was – we had nothing to watch, and uh, we were leafing through the, like, bottom of the barrel movies on the Amazon Prime streaming service. Uh, And Amazon has, like – weird selection these days but they actually have a good selection of like old crap movies and uh i saw a great mustache on a poster and so the the movie that we watched was 
Runaway, a 1984 movie uh, directed and written by Michael Crichton and starring Tom Selleck. Um, it's the strangest movie I've watched in a very, very long time. So first of all, Tom Selleck, it's a, it's a science fiction movie. Uh, it's, uh, it's a near future that is identical to the 1980s, except that robots are everywhere. Now these robots are extremely eighties looking robots. So one of the best things about this movie is that Tom Selleck is fighting like, um, uh, plastic totes with tank treads or like tape decks <laughs> on wheels, basically like the, the robots are hilarious looking. Uh, the, the, the first scene he and his very pretty partner, uh, uh, they, their job is they're on the LAPD, but they're on a task force to fight runaway robots. So their first task is they go and fight a, uh, a an agricultural robot that has gone mad and is running over crops. But their second is a hostage situation where a, uh, a, a domestic robot has gone rogue and killed two parents and their baby is still inside. And so Tom Selleck has to put on chain mail and go into this house and fight what looks like, uh, like an overturned bucket with an arm on the front holding a revolver. I mean, it's the funniest thing you've <laughs> ever seen. It's like, it's like 10 inches tall and it's got a little revolver arm. And I'm like, why does this, why does this bucket have a gun? It's ridiculous. But it, the game, the movie only gets weirder from there. Um, you know, it's a, the, the main villain is played by Gene Simmons from kiss, except he's out of makeup and he just plays like a weird sneering villain who commands these like spider bots that are totally command that they're the puppetry on them is the like, um, you know, alien uh, face hugger style puppetry where they like literally throw something at an actor and the actor has to like hold it to their neck and pretend that they're trying to rip it off of them. You know, that kind of thing. Lots of that. Kirstie Alley is in it as like a, like a sex pot character. It's just like the strangest freaking movie. And it actually really held up. Like I really enjoyed it. It's uh, it's definitely not a good movie, but if you want like a good, bad movie, that's not so towards the bad movie side of that, that it becomes intolerable, but never approaches actually good. It's, it's sublime. It's a great yeah. movie to watch. So I a hundred percent this week recommend Runaway 1984. It's what's making me happy this week. It's got some of the finest mustaches and robots I've seen in a movie. Highly recommended. <laughs> That's excellent. And, and I know you. Maybe you're going to say something like helping children starving or something because we've done. We're done. <laughs> no, I just I do I I've seen uh, Reagan's spreadsheets that catalog uh, the diagram the venn diagram of uh robots and uh mustaches and so it's mm. interesting to know that this is the best one of those because i know you seek those this, out this lot. movie on that diagram is a perfect circle <laughs> <laughs> um also i don't know if either of you have listened to the podcast how did this get made um yes. you know it's that's a huge podcast it doesn't really need any plugging from us um uh, but they do bad movies and they did uh a whole episode on that movie. Oh, good. All, I'm going to have to go yeah, check that out. I, I, I highly listened recommend to that episode. It. Definitely yeah. need to see that now. Yeah. Yeah. I love, uh, I, I love watching bad movies. And so I've not seen this one and I want to really bad now. So double thumbs up on um, it. Definitely check out Runaway. Awesome. Uh, well, my, uh, thing that I'm making me happy is not a, a thing of media that I can recommend to anyone though. It's becoming increasingly aware to me that that might be what we're actually trying to accomplish with this. For me, I was just going to say, 
Reagan, you've been making me happy this week. I got to visit uh, last weekend. I went and visited Reagan in Denver, and we got some. Uh, uh, went to a baseball game and just kind of hung around Denver and got some food, and it was really fun. And I got to see uh, Reagan's relatively new house, which was awesome. So good job on that, and it was fun. Thank you. Yeah, I had a great time seeing you, and, and thank you for taking me to my first Colorado Rockies game. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. I don't. I don't really get out to baseball games except with baseball loving friends, and you're my baseball loving friend. So thanks for uh, for yeah. driving me because it was a lot of fun. I had a great time. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for making us look really great in comparison by choosing friendship because it's making you <laughs> yeah, happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you were so pure, Nate. You're such filth. <laughs> I love robots. Um, this was, this was fun. Thank you guys for joining me on this episode of the short game listeners. We want to hear from you. You can find the show on Twitter at underscore short game, or you can find us on the web at www.theshortgame.net. We've got a contact form there. And also our show notes page is searchable. So you can search for the the name of pretty much any game that you uh, think we might be interested in or that you might be interested in rather, and uh, see if we've done an episode on it. And if we haven't, let us know about it. Let us know what's a good game to play if you've got a short game that you think is cool and that we ought to cover um, you can find me on twitter at reagan k that's r-a-y-g-a-n-k uh, and nate where can people find you you can find me on twitter at nate stl and this is normally where i or if we have one i read a a nice review that someone left us on itunes but we don't have any uh since our last episode so if you're not doing anything right now you're at a stoplight you're in the shower cooking i don't know what definitely <laughs> write us review in the shower yeah reach out grab it let us know what you're doing right now and what you think of the podcast um are you slowly lowering yourself into a bathtub <laughs> <laughs> your hands will be up uh you know will be uh, occupied at that point but uh let us know we love hearing from you and laura where can people find you you can find me on Twitter at Laura J. Nash. And listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.